And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed, what? His truth to triumph through us. That's what we're thinking about tonight, how God uses suffering as an opportunity for the gospel. So before we get started, let's begin our time with prayer. Father, we thank you again that you are Lord, you are sovereign, you are master of this universe. Because of that, you have a purpose for all that you do. You have a purpose for each of our lives, for each of the circumstances that you ordain for us. So we come and ask again tonight that you would teach us your ways. Teach us your purposes. Open our eyes and cause us to understand your word. And again, Father, as we have prayed each night, we come and ask that you would grant us faith to believe. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're thinking about God's purposes in suffering. And we've looked at quite a few right now, uh, up till today. And we've seen that suffering it can be both a school and a platform. I'm using different language here, but it can be both a school and a platform. As a school, God uses suffering to sanctify us, to deepen us, to deepen our faith. As a platform, God uses suffering to put our faith on display. He uses suffering as a unique opportunity to display Christ to a lost world. We saw last week how God uses our suffering. He comforts us in our suffering so that we might what? We might comfort others in their suffering, right? So God has a purpose not just to do a work in us, but to do a work through us in others. And that's what we're thinking of again tonight. Now, you see there in your notes, last session Q&A, I am still tentatively thinking of doing a question and answer time for our last session in two weeks. Um, again, I'm asking for those questions ahead of time because I will not answer them on the fly. Um, so if you have a, a question that's arisen out of this study or a question that has to do with suffering in general, uh, please send those in. The email address is there for those watching online I think the email is popping up right now uh, for you all. Um, again, that's tentative. If I don't get many questions or I just don't feel good about it, I'm just going to do another session. So I reserve that right, and you've signed the fine print, and so we're all good. Okay. I'd like to start tonight with a story. And it's the story of two women, Miriam and Marcy, uh, two Middle Eastern women who were uh, converts from Islam, and they met each other at a conference in Turkey, and they became quick friends. And God gave them both a burden to reach the lost in Iran. Tehran, Iran. Tehran is the capital of Iran, 16 million people there in Tehran. Now, you have to understand that it is illegal to share the gospel in Iran. Uh, you can be arrested you can lose your life for doing this. And so here you have two women in a very strong Muslim country 
with a desire to share the gospel on the streets of Tehran. And so how did they go about doing this? Well, they decided to distribute New Testaments. And so they smuggled New Testaments into the city, sometimes van loads of New Testaments under cover of darkness, and bring them into the city. And for three years, these two women with their backpacks full of Bibles walked the streets of Tehran, finding people to hand a Bible, a New Testament to, to tell them about Jesus, hoping that no one would turn them in. Well, it turns out that the Iranian police caught on finally. And in March of 2009, after having distributed around 20,000 Bibles in Iran, they were arrested and they were placed in a disgusting, a a terrible detention center. And here's what they write about uh, that detention center. And they, they wrote a book about this, and here's what they write. Most amazing of all, know what they say. We were in the best place we'd ever been for witnessing to people hungry for the gospel of Jesus. We were in the best place ever. You know, we moved off the streets into prison, and this was the best place ever. We had spent ourselves and our resources traveling all over the country with the message of salvation, always mindful of the danger of the wrong person overheard us, and now we were stuck in jail. And God was bringing spiritual seekers in waves. The living conditions weren't very good, but we didn't have to deal with travel and traffic. And we could tell our fellow prisoners the story of Jesus openly because no one would come into this rat hole to spy on us. Eventually, they were charged with sedition, threatened with torture, even execution, and finally landed in Tehran's notoriously dangerous penitentiary, Evan Prison. And they spent nine months there in that penitentiary, and they called it our church, our church, continuing their gospel mission among prisoners. And you can read about their, their story, then, all that they went through. And really, if you think about it, you and I, I mean, if we, we could spend the next hour, multiple hours, telling stories just like this. How God used difficult circumstances, persecution, suffering in the lives of his people to expand the gospel, to cause the gospel to spread to more and more people. And that's what we're thinking about tonight. Suffering provides gospel opportunities. So if you would turn with me in the word of God, we could go to multiple places to make this point, but this is a good passage. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20, so a fairly short passage here. Uh, The the place that we're in here in Matthew is uh, the section where Jesus is sending his disciples out on a short-term mission trip. He's going to send them out two by two. They're going to go village to village. They're going to preach the gospel, and they're going to work miracles. Jesus gave them the authority to do this, but before he sends them out, you have this chapter 10, which is really instructions. This is... This is their, uh, their preparation for the mission field. And um, although it's clear that in giving these instructions, Jesus has this immediate mission trip in, on his mind, it's also clear as you read this that he has the larger mission on his mind as well. And so, so he's preparing his disciples for this short-term mission trip, but as he does that, he also starts to prepare not only them, but the entire church for the worldwide mission of bringing the gospel to all the nations. And you'll note 
Um, you would note some of that as you work through chapter 10. Now, in this particular section, we see that Jesus underlines another purpose for suffering. We're going to see it here in our passage. And that suffering here is specifically, specifically tied to persecution. Okay, so tonight we're narrowing the focus. We're thinking of suffering, particularly the suffering of persecution. That's what we're thinking of tonight. Opposition because of the mission that we are on. Now, when Jesus saved us, uh, he called us to a mission. Uh, Jesus is on a mission. And when he says, follow me, (laughs) we join him. We join him on a mission. He's on a mission. And if we follow him, we're joining him on that mission. What is the mission of Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus himself says his mission is to seek and to save those who are lost. That's his mission. And he gives us that same mission. I want you to go into all the world and make what? Make disciples. Right? And so that is the mission that we are called to. And so you find even Jesus, when he calls his first disciples, what does he say? He says, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. See? So you, this is part of the mission we're on. But the mission that we're called to is a dangerous mission. It's a dangerous mission, and that's what we read about in our passage. So again, uh, Matthew chapter 10, and we're going to begin in verse 16. Jesus says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues, And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. So right from the right at the beginning there, verse 16 it's very clear, mission is dangerous. I send you out, how? How do I send you out? What is, going to, what is it going to be like? As sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, the sheep, the picture of sheep here is a picture of defenseless animals. I don't know much about sheep, but sheep, I've heard, are some of the most defenseless animals. They really can't protect themselves a whole lot. And they are not just defenseless animals, but they are defenseless animals in the midst of a dangerous environment, in the midst of wolves. There's going to be danger all around you, and you're going to be vulnerable. In fact, it's actually even worse than this, because prior in Matthew, Jesus says that not only are you sheep in the midst of wolves, but there are wolves in sheep's clothing. (laughs) So there's going to be wolves that look like sheep. They look like they're with you, part of you, on the team, but they're out to destroy you. And so he says you need to quiet in the midst of these difficult, this difficult environment. You need to be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. The serpent was proverbial for its prudence, the, the dove for its innocence. Uh, shrewd here means sensible, sensible, thoughtful, prudent wise. The, the, the idea with the word here is just use your brain. <laughs> you know, use your brain. Use, use sanctified common sense. Shrewd. 
The word innocence literally means unmixed, unmixed. It's pure. That's, that's the idea behind the word innocence. And it's pure, innocent with regards to sin. In other words, the person who's innocent is not mixed with sin or mixed up with evil. Now, innocence without wisdom and prudence can lead to ignorance. Shrewdness without innocence can lead to deceit or being sly or cunning. And so both of these are important. They kind of balance each other out, these two qualities. What does it actually mean, though, practically speaking? What is Jesus saying here? I believe what he's saying is Christians must seek to avoid conflict. Christians should not stir up trouble unnecessarily or be unnecessarily provocative. In other words, Christians are not to seek out persecution. We're not to seek it out. In fact, Jesus in verse 23, if you look at verse 23, he'll say, hey, when they persecute you in one city, what should you do? Run to the next. And you actually see Paul do that a good bit where he's persecuting one city and he just moves on to the next city and keeps preaching the gospel. But on the other hand, we must not be so careful, so shrewd, so sensible that we are disobedient to the mission, right? There's a balance here. That we're unfaithful, unloyal to Jesus Christ. That we pull back and live in isolation. And so we must not allow our shrewdness to degenerate into deceit or evil doing or unfaithfulness to Christ in any way. Now look at verse 17. He moves on. Jesus moves on. Here he gives us something of the nature of persecution. What is persecution going to look like? And he says, beware of men. Now, just a note there. Beware of men doesn't mean beware of men as opposed to women. You know, women are really sweet, really nice, but men, they're, they're so evil. They're going to, you know, that's where the persecutions come from. Uh, that's not what he's talking about. Men here means people. Okay. Beware of people. People will persecute you. Men and women can persecute. Um, so beware of people. And, and what is the nature of the persecution? Well, look at verse 17. They will hand you over to the courts. So the implication is there, they will speak ac- accusations. They will, they will bring accusations against you. You will be brought into uh, courtrooms, the legal system. Now what's being referred to here is the Jewish legal system. Uh, because you see there in verse 17, they will scourge you where? In their synagogues. And the synagogues was the, the local place. It was really not just the place where uh, the Jews would gather for worship, but it was also the place where there was part of the school system. It was also where uh, the rabbis would be and the, the leaders of the community. So court cases would be held there in the local synagogue. And so that's what it's referring to here. Not only will accusations be brought, but you'll be found guilty. And you'll be found guilty. And what, do you, what, did, what did the Jews do when you were found guilty? They scourged you. you know, the 39, 39 stripes right, that Paul had Actually, I think five times he experienced that. Um, what, else, what else do we have here? Verse 18, Christians will be brought before the highest authorities in the land. Think of Paul. He was brought all the way up. He stood before the emperor of Rome. So even the highest authorities of the land will be brought before them. Uh, I move forward to verse 21. Where it's not part of our passage, but it gives you an idea of the kinds of persecution that Jesus mentions here. Betrayal. Betrayal to even to death by loved ones. 
Hatred, verse 21. You'll be hated by all, uh, verse 22. Hated by all because of my name. Verse 25, you'll see that if they call, Jesus says, if they called me Beelzebub, that is, if they called me uh, someone who, who's, who's part of Satan's group, then they're going to call you that. So we, we can see here that part of persecution is being maligned, being spoken of, um, being spoken of in an evil way. And these are all examples of the kinds of suffering God's people will experience as they join Jesus on his mission to save the Lord. Now, we all know that persecution is not the same everywhere in this world. Persecution is very different in the Middle East than it is here. There are different degrees of persecution. In some countries, Christians are heavily persecuted. In others, they are tolerated. But I want us to think of, of our context. I want to think of, us to think of some of the more subtle forms of opposition uh, that we can experience right here in our own country, in the U.S. Um, I've heard others say this, and I believe there's some truth to it, that opposition is increasing in the United States. It's, it is, I think people are increasingly becoming hostile to the gospel. So think about some of the, some of the ways maybe we experience this, being passed over for a promotion being fired or maybe not even fired but pushed to the side pushed out or or put in circumstances i'm thinking of the work environment in which you can no longer work there it's just no longer no longer able to work there i mean i've heard about this right here in greenville people having to quit their job because to continue on would be to align with things that that were not pleasing to the lord and and they had to leave being badly spoken of, being mocked, being viewed as ignorant. I mean, that's kind of the name of the game. If you're in higher education, um, if you're, and you're a Christian, you're probably going to be viewed as ignorant, uh, stupid, narrow-minded, shunned. You know, um, think about just uh, the kind of persecution that you can experience with unbelieving family members. You know, the, the, be, being hated by family members. Jesus speaks of it here. That's, that's anywhere in the world. Um, being being opposed by family members because of your, or cut off by them because of your faith in Christ, being wrongfully accused. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing about this right now. I mean, wrong, wrongful accusations, being mistreated, uh, being taken to court, you know, being taken to court for uh, refusing to bake a cake because you don't want to um, I, uh, support something that, you know, that you don't agree with. I mean, this, this is happening, right? So there are levels of, of persecution even in our own country. And the reality is that choosing to stand for what is right and true can cause you suffering. That's a reality. Choosing to be honest in business can cause you problems. Choosing to not publicly endorse certain movements can be costly. And in some sense, if you think about it, as we're laying these out, if you think about it, persecution actually begins with us. Because sometimes we think persecution begins with, you know, bad people out there who oppose us. But if you think about it, we're the ones who are beginning persecution in a sense. We're the ones who are triggering it. Why? Because we are disrupting the status quo. Uh, we're going against the flow of the world system. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, he says, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, why will godly people suffer persecution? Because they refuse to be conformed to this world. They, they refuse to be conformed to this world. And so at the very least, the world disapproves of them. 
you have to realize the world here, and I'm thinking of unbelieving people. They're, they're caught up in a they're, they're caught up in a system. Um, there is a, a course that this world is on. Ephesians speaks to us about this, and this world has a leader that it follows, the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself. And, and this world is characterized by disobedience. That's what Ephesians says, Ephesians 2. A spirit of disobedience. Um, and we used to live like that, right? Uh, we, we used to walk in step with this world system. We used to be on that course. We, we, we used to follow the devil. He used to be our leader. Uh, we, we used to live lives of disobedience. And then something happened. God, who's rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. And he raised us up. And he saved us by his grace. And he set us on an entirely new course, an entirely different course, under a new leader, resulting in lives of obedience to God, lives of, you know, characterized by good works. And so the reason, if you think about it, the reason believers are persecuted is because our new lives in Christ do not conform to the world's expectations. We don't endorse their sinful behavior. We don't join them in their sensuality and their greed. Instead, our lifestyles and message confronts them and provokes them, and there is opposition. Now, if you think about it, who is the one who places us in this position? Who, who puts us in this place that is contrary to the world, that is in opposition to the world? Well, look again back at Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Who sends us? Jesus, right? Jesus says, I send you out as sheep among wolves. And again there, we have this comforting reminder that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he's sovereign over any danger we might encounter. Jesus Christ is Lord of persecution. He's sovereign of, over, over suffering. In fact, what we're being told here is Jesus himself is sending you into these dangerous places. He's the one that's leading you into persecution. And he has a purpose in it. He does it for a purpose. Well, what is that purpose? That's really what we want to think about tonight. What is this purpose for which he puts us in this dangerous position. Well, you see it there in verse 18. And you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake. And here we have it, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. The ESV says, to bear witness before them and to the Gentiles. Here's a, a purpose, right? Why are you brought before Rulers, why this persecution? Why the opposition? In order to bear witness as an opportunity for the gospel. Now, you might ask the question to bear witness concerning what? Well, if you think about it, this passage is part of Jesus' instructions, his commissioning his disciples to preach a particular message. You see it in verse 7, actually. The message they are to preach is this the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The same message of Jesus, same message that actually John the Baptist preached and that Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so what is 
the testimony that we are to bring in the midst of persecution. We are to bear witness to Jesus Christ. To Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is, there is a new king that's reigning. And he has come to this earth. And we are to testify to the person of Jesus. He's king, king of kings. And to the work, the mission of Jesus. He's come to seek and to save the lost. And he's won salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection. It's possible to bear witness to Jesus not only with our words, but also with our actions. Peter, First Peter talks a good bit about that. Uh, when we're being persecuted, if you think about it, when we're being persecuted, we're being sinned against. We're being sinned against. And when you are sinned against, you have an opportunity, a great opportunity to reveal Christ to another person, that person who's sinning against you. We can speak of God's love and grace in Christ to another person, um, but we can also show them God's grace. See, when you are sinned against and you refuse to retaliate, you refuse to pay back evil for evil, you refuse to respond with anger, but instead you respond with a blessing, you respond in love. That person not only hears that God is gracious, but that person then experiences the grace of God through your response. What are we trying to say? What is the purpose of persecution? Persecution can become a means for the spread of the gospel. Well, that's what we're saying. Here's a purpose. And of course, persecution is suffering, right? Suffering can be an opportunity for the gospel to spread. Now think about here um, the, the logical progression here. You have a confessing of Christ, okay, and a, an identification with Jesus Christ, and that leads, I did this last week, so I'll do it again here. Confession of Christ, identification with Christ, and it leads to opposition, persecution. And that opposition leads then to Further opportunity to testify of Christ. There's this progression here in, in the passage. Identification with Christ, we're sheep among wolves, leads to opposition. Opposition leads to opportunity to communicate the gospel. You see this pattern in the book of Acts, uh, the beginning of the book of Acts. Peter and John are in the temple. They're in Jerusalem in the temple, and they're, they're preaching the gospel to crowds. And here comes these... Uh, the guards of the temple, the, the policemen, they come and they grab them and they drag them away to prison. You're like, oh, great, you know, this great gospel opportunity. It's destroyed. Oh, no, you know, what are we going to do? But the next day, where did Peter and John end up? They end up in front of all the rulers, all the leaders there. And, and, and what does Peter do? He opens his mouth and he preaches the gospel. Here's another opportunity, you know. These people would not have heard the gospel if it hadn't been for their arrest. And so he sees it as just another opportunity. God's purposes for suffering are being fulfilled. Turn back to Matthew 5. I, want you to, I just want you to see this in a few different places, the logic here. You see it played out over and over again. But it's fascinating here in chapter 5. My wife was pointing this out, so I'm going to... Um, just show you how this, how, how this works. Um, just the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount here. 
uh, Jesus begins with this famous Beatitudes, blessed, right? Blessed are the uh, poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are gentle or humble, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemaker. And, and there's a logic here. There's, there's a logical progression here because if you think about it, the kind of people who live out the first seven Beatitudes, they will experience the eighth. What is the eighth? Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. You see, living as a Christian, living a godly life, will put you in opposition to a world that's going a different direction. That makes sense? And you will experience verses 10 and 11 if you live out the first verses 1 through 9. That makes sense? And as you experience persecution for the sake of righteousness, people insulting you, verse 11, and persecuting you, and falsely saying all kinds of evil against you because of me, when you experience verses 10 and 11, it thrusts you into verse 13 and 14. What do we have in verse 13? You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. So what do you have again? You have identification with Christ, living godly lives, leading to opposition, persecution, leading to what? Opportunity. Opportunity to be a light in this world, to make a difference in this world. Persecution leads to opportunity. Imagine you're on a travel sports team. that You've chosen out of conscience towards God not to play on Sunday. I'm aware of a situation right now that's like this. Um, you're going to stand out if you choose not to play on Sunday. Your team's playing every Sunday. You don't. You're going to stand out. Your teammates are going to ask, why are you not here? What are you doing? I'm a Christian. You're going to stand out. What's wrong with you? You're, you know, that's the religious freak. You know, you make people say things of you. You're going to stand out. You have an opportunity, an opportunity to be light. I think of Eric Liddell, right, who refused to run on Sunday in the 1924 Olympics. Great, great movie there, Chariots of Fire, that depicts his story. Um, and he got flack for that. He, he was opposed. He, he, even the, the Prince of Wales <laughs> trying to tell him, no, you, you must do this for your country. Imagine you're asked by your boss to lie on some paperwork. You know, just fudge the numbers just a little. It's not a big deal. Nobody's going to notice, and it'll be good for the company. It'll be, it'll be good for the business. What do you have? You have an opportunity. I'm sorry, boss. I can't do that for you. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and he calls me to be a man or a woman of integrity. I can't do that for you. Now, let's say your friend group invites you to join them to watch a movie, and you look the movie up, you realize it's full of profanity, full of sexual content. What do you do? You go along, you watch it, no salt, no light, no opposition either. But you speak up. You say, ah, I'm a Christian. The Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to see God. I can't go there with you. I'd love to hang out with you, but I can't watch that movie with you. And yes, maybe you're laughed at, maybe you're looked down on, maybe you're rejected, but you have an opportunity. 
an opportunity to testify of Jesus Christ. How do we respond when the world pressures us, even in subtle ways, small ways, to be disloyal to Jesus, to break his commandments, to laugh at an unclean joke when we know it's not funny to God, to join others in activities that are not glorifying to God. Right there, right there, there's an opportunity, an opportunity to testify, to bear witness to Jesus Christ. Well, although our passage here, Matthew 10, is particularly speaking of persecution. You see there in my notes, I say all suffering can provide opportunities. And, and I would uh, say that although our passage is specifically speaking of persecution, it wouldn't be wrong to extend that and to say that any and all suffering can provide opportunities for the gospel. It can. Thinking of Paul in Galatians. There's an interesting verse in Galatians chapter 4 where Paul says, you know that it was because of bodily illness that I spoke to the gospel to you the first time. That's a really interesting verse, right? Uh, Paul to the Galatians. When did I speak the gospel? Or why did I speak the gospel to you? Because of bodily illness. Paul got sick in some way and some kind of physical ailment and that became the means for which these Christians, these who are now Christians, heard the gospel for the first time. I remember coming out of the neighborhood Walmart here in Old Buncombe with some groceries one day. It was a few years ago. And I was going towards my van, and this man stops me. And, and stopped me and pretty abruptly, like, how do you do it? How do you live life in a wheelchair? How do you have hope? He was desperate. You see, his son, just a few months before, I'd been shooting fireworks on the 4th of July and there'd been an accident and his hand had gotten blown off. Gone. No more hand. I think it was his dominant hand. And his son had just lost hope. No more reason to live. Completely depressed. Wouldn't go out. And the father was desperate. How do you have hope? How do you go on? And there's an opportunity. People are watching. Suffering puts us in a spotlight. It does, whether we like it or not. How are we going to respond? You you have to realize people out there are hopeless. They are without God and without hope in this world. They live in darkness. And when they see someone going through tragedies and great suffering with hope, with joy, they want to know why. (laughs) How do you do that? Well, Not only does Jesus prepare us for persecution, and not only does he explain to us the purpose for persecution, but he gives us a promise. Verse 19, he gives us a promise. And we read here, but when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you're going to say. For it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. You see, if if we grasp the idea that suffering is, can be an opportunity to proclaim the gospel, it could actually lead to a little bit of worry or fear. You know, when I'm put on the spot, when I'm given the opportunity, will I communicate the gospel adequately? Will I communicate it faithfully or clearly? And Jesus says, when you're in the pressure situation, when you're handed over, when you're arrested, don't worry. Don't be worried about what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. You just think about how kind and thoughtful of our Lord (laughs) 
You know, you're already under enough pressure. You're already going through enough. I'll take care of what you need to say. You just relax. (laughs) You're going through enough already. It's just the kindness of the Lord right here. Um, Don't don't worry about ruining a good gospel opportunity. Um, I'll be with you when you are called upon to speak. And I will speak through you. Note the language says it will be given to you. The theologians call that the divine passive. In other words, it will be given to you by whom? Who will show you what to speak? Well, by God. God will speak through you. And the next verse, of course, makes that clear. It is the spirit of your father who speaks through you. I want to just do one thing here to contrast this passage with another passage. If you turn to 1 Peter, see there in your notes, 1 Peter chapter 3. And I think it'll help us to have a more well-rounded understanding of what he's saying here in verse 19 and 20. It's a very similar passage, um, but it raises some questions. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Verses 13 through 15. 1 Peter 3, 13. Peter says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidations. Do not be troubled. But do what? Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Note that the context here in in 1 Peter is very similar to the one in Matthew. These are people who are suffering for righteousness' sake. They're they're being persecuted. Uh, they're, They're being actually... You see there in verse uh, verse 14, don't fear their intimidations. They're being intimidated. And what Peter says is you need to always be ready to make a defense. Or the word could be translated apology for the hope that is in you. Now, this word can refer to anything from an informal inquiry by a neighbor. You know, why do you have hope? You know, the man coming up to me in the parking lot or all the way to a formal court case, legal court case setting. So it, it, the whole, it, it can, any kind of person coming up and asking, it, 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 it includes that. So Jesus, I just want to point this out. Jesus says, don't worry about what you will say. Peter says, be ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you. I'm trying to bring two things that seem to be opposed here. You, you're hearing that? Uh, just know, first of all, that both passages are very similar in their pattern. There's an identification with Christ that leads to opposition. That leads to what? An opportunity. Okay, I'm drilling the pattern into your head here. Uh, Leads to an opportunity. But why the difference? Jesus says, don't prepare. Peter says, be ready, be prepared. Um, So, What gives? What's the difference here? Why these two differences? And I just want to say that both are correct. If we understand them correctly, both can be harmonized, and they don't necessarily contradict each other. What is Peter trying to say? What's Peter's concern? Peter is saying that Christians ought to be able to articulate their trust in Jesus, why they trust Jesus. Christians ought to be able to articulate, even in the simplest ways, 
why they have hope, you know, or why, why they believe in Jesus Christ. They ought to be always ready to share, even in the most simplest of ways, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying something very specific for a very specific context. He says, when you're handed over. Now, that's very, very specific. When you are being handed over, and he doesn't say don't be prepared. He says don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about the exact words you're going to use. Don't prepare a transcript Peter speaks of general preparedness to share the gospel. Jesus instructs us not to worry about how exactly we're going to share that gospel. In other words, I'm going to put them together here. Be ready ahead of time. (laughs) Be ready ahead of time. Learn to share the hope that's in you. Be ready to share that hope that's in you. But when you're in the tight spot, when you're put under pressure, when the court case is pending, Don't worry about what you're going to say. The promise is that the Lord, the Spirit of God, is going to speak through you. Be ready. Don't worry. (laughs) Be ready. Don't worry. I wonder tonight if you're ready to share with another, even in the simplest terms, why you have hope. You see, if you identify with Christ... And you're led, because of that identification, into opposition. You'll have opportunities to share why you have hope. Hope in Christ. Opportunities. Are you ready for those opportunities? Well, let me bring this to conclusion tonight. What is God doing in your suffering? Well, he's doing a lot of things in your suffering. We've already seen quite a few. But tonight we're seeing that God has a purpose for sending us into situations where we experience opposition and persecution. And it is so that others might experience the grace of God like we have experienced his grace. It's so that we might have opportunities to proclaim to others what Christ has done for us. I I think of Paul in Philippians. Paul says something quite remarkable. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that my circumstances, and by his circumstances he means his imprisonment, has turned out, how? For the greater progress of the gospel. I want you to know that my imprisonment, my suffering, has turned out for the the advancement, the greater progress of the gospel. Just like the story of Miriam and Marcy at the beginning. Paul's imprisonment had a purpose. Paul's suffering had a purpose. It had a gospel purpose. And so tonight, I ask you, do you see how God is working out that purpose in your suffering? I want you, I want you to think about this question right here. How is your suffering being used by God for the greater progress of the gospel? Regardless of the suffering, even if it's, whether it's persecution or, or some other kind of suffering, how is God using your suffering for the greater progress of the gospel? It's a good question to think about. How is God using that? What uncomfortable or difficult circumstances have you encountered because of your faithfulness to Christ? How can those awkward, uncomfortable, difficult interactions with others be used 
to bear witness to Christ? It's a good question, right? To ask yourself. How can those difficult relationships be used by God? Maybe tonight you're suffering for having been sinned against by another person. Someone has sinned against you and you're suffering because of that. How can you respond in such a way that that person experiences God's grace through your life? Where you don't give them what they deserve, but you give them the opposite of what they deserve. That's what God did for us, right? We deserve hell. We deserve judgment. And God gave us the opposite of that, mercy. How can we do that for another person? One commentator said, suffering and gospel growth go hand in hand. That's what we're thinking about tonight. Suffering and gospel growth go hand in hand. See, suffering opens doors. Another way to think about it. Suffering is a platform. Suffering puts our faith on display. Our suffering, realize this, our suffering might just be the means by which another person hears the gospel and places their faith in Jesus Christ and is saved for all eternity. Isn't that wonderful? God has a purpose in your suffering and in my suffering. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you again that you are at work. In our suffering, you have a purpose. We thank you for your heart for the lost. We thank you for saving us. And we thank you that you are today, tonight, this very moment, you are seeking to save those who are lost. Father, we come and ask that you would Enable us to approach our suffering from a whole new vantage point. And that you would enable us to to buy up the opportunities with which we are presented. To testify of what you've done in our lives. So we come and we ask you. We ask you for that enabling. By your spirit. We ask you for the words in the moment you might be glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.